Welcome to In the Wake with Whitney. Here on this podcast, we cover mental health, life lessons, mindset growth, and tons of storytelling. Together, we'll laugh, we'll cry, and everything in between. I'm your host, Whitley Rogers. I'm a certified life coach and mental health advocate. I'm also a survivor of sexual and mental abuse. I'm here to open up those conversations that are normally uncomfortable or hush-hush in society. Keep listening for bits and pieces of my personal journey and insights along with other interviewees. This is a trigger warning to preface this episode. This episode may include explicit content, graphic details, or heavier, sensitive, and mature topics. Listen at your own risk and take precaution if you suffer with a mood or mental disorder, suicidal ideation, or a victim of abuse, rape, or trauma. The following episode could contain such content. The last thing I want is for this episode to trigger or provoke negative thoughts or feelings for you. Hi guys. So this episode is a continuation of last week's episode, a conversation with my dad. If you haven't already, listen in on part one in order for this part two episode to make sense. With that being said, no more cliffhangers. Here's the rest of what my dad had to say. So can you speak to when I publicly shared my story of abuse and maybe the retaliation we faced and how it affected both you and maybe me? I was very anxious about sharing it. I had a lot of a lot of fears or a lot of reasons to, to hesitate, I guess. Uh, you were very insistent that this is something that you felt like you needed to do. And I felt like it was potentially going to expose you to a lot of you know, negativity and potential backlash. I already felt like I'd failed you before and you'd gone through a lot of pain and suffering and I didn't really want to allow you to be uh, harmed in that way again. And this could kind of reopen all of that stuff and you know, the fact that it's, it's public and whatever and it's just the whole can of worms, I guess. Um, yeah. Before I even released the video... You had expressed all of these fears and these anxieties, and so had my mom. She was very anxious during this period, but I, I stayed so strong in my decision to share this publicly. I didn't. I never had a moment of like doubt or doubting my truth or my story. I just felt so strong in that, like this was my purpose. This was what I needed to do. And all of those times that I was kept safe in those moments where I, I didn't want to live anymore. Like this was the reason why I was kept safe. This was why I was here. This is, this is my purpose. I had had all of these strong feelings and revelations and all of that, that you guys supported me, but you also had your own feelings of doubt. And so it was, around Christmas time, right before we were about to leave on our big trip to Argentina, when we kind of faced retaliation before I even released the video, a third party had expressed kind of running through the different severe worst case scenarios of retaliation that I could face. 
they expressed a lot of doubt. They expressed their disagreement with me posting my story publicly. And they just, they kind of went through those worst case scenarios where like your abuser can sue you. And that's very likely because of this and this and this. And reading that letter right before I was getting ready to share this publicly just wrecked me because I was, I felt like I was prepared for retaliation. I was like, I know that that is a possibility. Not even that if it happens, when it happens. And, you know, I thought I was prepared. I was preparing myself. But once it kind of was spelled out for me, it was, it was scary. And I had this moment where I just broke down sobbing and panicking. And I was like, I, which I talked in my anxiety episode, when I panic and when I spiral, I get into these mindsets of I can't and I am so one track minded that I cannot do any of the things that I previously had set my mind to and no one can convince me otherwise and all of the solutions are just out of the picture I cannot do it and so I was panicking and sobbing just hysterically because this was just heartbreaking for me because I had all of this self-revelation that this is what I needed to do and then I had other people express their doubts and their fears. And that was just really disheartening because I didn't feel supported, even though it's, I still wanted to go through with it. And so I had this episode where I was just sobbing and saying, I can't do this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not sharing anymore. This is just stupid. I give up. I am sick of this. I, you know, I was just saying all of these things. And my dad, like I mentioned, is always the person there, always kind of taking the the sucky end of things and trying to calm me down telling like he was getting mad he was getting so frustrated with me because he was like no you can't just give up we've come so far and you can't just throw all of this away right now like and this is your purpose like and he was trying to affirm all of those things that i believed and i knew but in this small moment i those were thrown out the window. Whenever I get into these panic modes and he tries to either calm me down or rationalize with me, or he was just trying to affirm these things that I believed. He was just spitting my own words back at me. And I was arguing with him and getting so mad and just screaming, crying, saying, no, 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 no. I do give up. I can't do this. And it just got to the point where he started sobbing too. And he just broke down. He was saying things like, I don't know what to do anymore. This is just so... And this was the first time that I had seen him mentally and emotionally break down over me. Because my parents stayed strong in the face of all of this. At least in my perception, they were strong to my face because I was struggling. So they couldn't struggle. No one else could struggle. It wasn't relevant. And so... That was the first time that I saw the toll that it was taking on my dad. And he, he was literally sobbing like a baby. I was also sobbing and I was holding him. And I remember telling him that that was stupid. And I was like, no, you didn't fail. You, you do know what to do. You are doing a good job. And 
I was getting mad at him and he and it was like the reverse role where he was sobbing and he was spiraling and he was panicking and I was getting mad at him trying to affirm these things to him and then in in walks my mom and she's, she just sees us on the floor holding each other sobbing like babies <laughs> she's just like what is happening she didn't really know what to do she tried she got me into bed and and then held my dad and calmed him down that was just the before picture of the potential retaliation that we faced before I even shared my video. Do you have any thoughts or things you want to say about that? Well, just some one thing that reminded me of is I don't think through all the crap that we went through for such a long time, I don't think I'd ever cried about the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, just not. I don't cry that often. It's not my... Not my thing. Tough guy. But um, refer to the toxic masculinity uh, episode, I guess. (laughs) So I was able to continue to function, right? Mm -hmm. Throughout this whole time, you know, you're being strong. You're the support person. You're doing what you can to keep people safe, keep people alive. Going to work every day. And, you know, sometimes I have to emergency leave work to go take care of business. But for the most part, like, I'm taking care of stuff. I'm Mm -hmm. taking care of family to the to the extent that I can. I'm I'm going to work and you're, from the, you were just the glue. You just fixed everything, everyone. Well and, and if you look at things from the outside, you probably didn't really realize there was a problem because I was I was holding stuff together. But at that point it all kind of hit and I just melted down. And it. I've I've never never ever cried like that in my life before. Mm-hmm. And I I guess it was just kind of letting out a lot of that emotion, a lot of that, you know, those feelings of failure and those feelings of, you know, having let my daughter down and then the frustration and and not knowing what to do. Like who knows how to handle a situation like this? Nobody prepares you for something like this. Nobody, you know, there's there's no playbook for how to, what to do in in this kind of situation when your, your daughter is abused. Like it was very vulnerable for him, very vulnerable for me, very sacred almost because I was witnessing firsthand for the first time how all of this was affecting everyone around me especially my dad especially my parents but it also made me feel so much more supported and so much more understood in almost a twisted sense because he was feeling everything alongside me he was experiencing everything alongside me anyway so that happened and then i i did go through with posting my story publicly because I did feel so strongly about that. My recovery time was so quick as I as I began to heal. And so I bounced right back and I was like, yeah, this is still what I want to do. Even with the retaliation that is a possibility, I still feel strongly about it. No doubts, no fears. And so I had my little meltdown, you had your little meltdown, and we went for it. Well, I think it was actually a, a positive thing, the fact that a lot of these these doubts or the, the spins that could potentially be put on your story were shown to you by this third party. And being aware of the potential retaliation, the types of things that would be used against you potentially and, and all that kind of stuff, yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was terrible to hear and, it, was, and it, was, it obviously caused that whole episode, but it also, having that information, you're then armed you know, mm-hmm. and ready. I hate the term ignorance is bliss because I think knowledge is power and knowing those things, like I, I wouldn't go back and 
unlearn or unsee those things, unread them. Because I do think it strengthened me and I do think it gave me more confidence in doing it. Yeah. And so ultimately, even though I had a lot of fears and reservations and anxiety about uh, about you sharing your story publicly and posting your video, ultimately, you know, I, I trusted you. You said, hey, this is, I feel very, very strongly about this. This is what I need to do. And so, you know, I resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to back you up and I'm going to support you in doing whatever you feel like you need to do to heal from this. And then as, as far as retaliation goes, I don't know that I have a whole lot I really want to share publicly about that stuff. You got some retaliation for sure. And I don't know if you want to talk about that right now or if you want to save that for later on. And for, for me and your mother, I think one thing that was difficult for your mother was that it caused her anxiety in kind of social situations. You know, mm-hmm. there were some social circles that she was in that, that she just kind of dropped out of to a certain extent because she was scared that someone would bring it up. She was scared that she would get emotional if mm-hmm. someone like if someone wanted to talk to her about your story. Um, she was scared probably that there would be backlash or people that didn't believe and she didn't want to hear and deal with, with any of that stuff. Like she has no time for anybody that's going to try and call you a liar or, you know, come up with a bunch of nonsense excuses about what really happened. You know, mm-hmm. when, they, when they have no idea what really happened. Yeah. It, um, it caused a, a whole great deal of anxiety for my mom and anxiety for you, but social anxiety for her and, she went into a depression, just a whole separate amount of mental health struggles for her and a little for you too. Yeah. And I think it's very possible that um, some people that she had some friendships that she had that people kind of just dropped off the map for her, like mm-hmm. just didn't give her the time of day anymore. With no explanation. No. Yeah. No explanation. No, no reasons why, <laughs> but. Which is really, really hard on her. It was, it was. And, you know, the assumption is. is that they were upset that you had shared your story. Maybe they, you know, sided with, you know, your, your abuser or, you know, yeah, whatever ties, it might be. Whatever. Right. And so, you know, that was, that was really, really tough on her. Yeah. Because she's a very social person. She's a very talkative person. And for her to retreat in that way and no longer want to socialize with anyone and no longer want to talk to anyone about anything is just, so out of the ordinary for her. All right. So what are things that you would suggest looking for in your kids if they are silently struggling? I mean, I've got a few ideas here. I don't know that I have a lot to elaborate on, but I think isolation is is one thing you can look for. Like in your case, you know, you had a big group of friends and you used to hang out with them and do stuff and that, that went away. Yeah. One day I didn't. Right? have any friends right. at and all. Right, and then everybody was, was gone. And so, hey, that's kind of a warning sign. Maybe isolation for family, you know, just not wanting to interact with people, not wanting to participate in things. Not um, coming out of my room. Right, spending all of your time alone in your room. Obviously, you know, the, the silent turns to a, a very apparent struggle at some point with crying in episodes and things like that. But it's potentially kind of some of the numbing techniques you've talked about in previous episodes where, you know, people are just scrolling through their phone forever, they're binging, you know, Netflix, sleeping a lot too much, or, you know, going overboard with video games or whatever. There's, there's lots of things that are fine in, in normal, regular doses, but 
you know, once those are taken to extremes, that could be maybe a, a sign that they're trying to numb something and deal with something. In a negative way. Right. And more extreme, alcohol and drugs, pornography, and whatever those extreme ones are that may be more hidden. But for me, it was numbing and laying in my bed all day and playing the most mindless games on my phone ever. What was the cooking game that you spent a bunch of money on and I got mad at you about? (laughs) I don't know the name. I had a cooking game and I charged my dad's credit card like $75 because I bought so many restaurants and I spent hours playing that cooking game or just this like Tetris game that's just so, so dumb that I would just for hours play that game while simultaneously watching Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I, I took away your rights to in-app purchases <laughs> on your phone after that, after we uh, paid a bunch of money for that restaurant cooking game. I was like, nope, <laughs> no more. Some other ideas are withdrawing from things that you used to like to do. Yeah, my hobbies went out the window as well. Yeah, maybe being less motivated about you know things in general. I, I wasn't really doing my homework. I mean, I was to a certain extent, but I, I wasn't putting my same heart and soul into it my grades weren't that great and then I also just want to know for any parents listening that I know it's hard to not internalize your child's struggles but it most definitely does not reflect on on you as a parent on whether you've failed or succeeded if your child is struggling with mental illness that's not a personal failure all right so but but as a parent it's really hard not to feel that way yeah right yeah rightfully so but that's just an affirmation that it's not your fault it's not your failing it's not but you know dads are supposed to fix everything and take care of everything and when they can't they have a hard time with that where in your job description does it say that i don't know Those those are just the expectations that you have subconsciously put on yourself. Well, you got to do something. (laughs) Got to serve some sort of purpose here. Maybe the decision to have these kids, someone's got to take care of them. (laughs) Anyway, how do you have those hard conversations that most parents and kids dread? These conversations about mental illness, about abuse, maybe death consent, sex, whatever it is, those just really uncomfortable, awkward conversations. I think as far as your struggles go, we we tried to be just kind of pretty open and honest with the kids about what was going on and they could see that things were not okay. But even after we realized the abuse that had taken place, the type of abuse that had taken place, we talked to our kids about it and we said, you know, this is what happens. This person did terrible things and we, we just tried to be straightforward with them. I think a lot of those conversations are going to be awkward. Maybe there's nothing you can do about it to make it not awkward, but you just have to do it. Just be direct, be age appropriate where you might need to, but tell the truth. It's probably hard for you know my eight or nine-year-old son to really comprehend what happened. And maybe it's not until later on in his life where we really help him to understand a little bit better what happened. But you know what? It, it's, hard, it's hard to explain that to anyone. It's yeah. hard for anyone to really understand what this is like to go through. I don't understand what it's like to go through from the victim standpoint. I do understand what it's like to go through from the secondary victim or I forget what the term was. That you secondary used. survivor. Secondary survivor. 
um, or a victim, whatever. But it's just really hard to convey that to someone else without experiencing it. It's hard to convey to grown adults. Right. So I mean, so, so many adults do not get it. Like, no. do not get it at all. They I just cannot wrap their mind around it. I did not get it for a very long time. Yeah. I'm ashamed to say, I think, that I, I did not get it. Probably been guilty of saying stupid and ignorant things in the past, and I am sorry. <laughs> I am so very sorry for being ignorant and dumb. But coming back to the, like the, the kids thing, I've always been really big on being honest with my children. That's always been a goal of mine. I want Honesty I don't, I don't is know, very important to you. It is. I pride myself in, you know, being a, a pretty honest person. And I it doesn't mean you have to go and tell your kids every detail of everything, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's context and you know, we're you do it where it makes sense, but I have always tried really hard to not lie to them. I will not lie to their face. I yeah, want if them the, if they ask, you will not make excuses. You honest i may not choose to answer the question but i will not lie to them i want them to be able to trust me if my kid comes to me and asks me if santa claus is real i will just go tell them to go ask their mother because (laughs) i will not tell them yes their mother will say oh yeah definitely of course santa claus is real what are you talking about i can't do it i won't do it i i had actually have a problem with that whole Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, like <laughs> tooth fairy thing because I feel dishonest. I also feel ripped off because I'm the guy paying for all that stuff. <laughs> You're not getting the credit. Right. I would like some of that credit. And, you know, eventually the kids find, figure it out and maybe they, they credit me with some of that stuff. But yeah, it just, it feels like lying to me and I'm very big on just trying to be straightforward with it. I'm not saying we're the best at all this kind of stuff, but you know, we just try to be open and honest with them. You know, one situation that comes to mind that happened fairly recently is, you know, so your brother is, he's, he was in fifth grade and in fifth grade, they have kind of like a, uh, a maturation program. I don't know exactly what they call so it. So fun. <laughs> right. And so where they, they teach the boys, Hey, this is what happens to boys' bodies and talk about puberty and, you know, things like that. And the girls have like their version of it. So what do we do? Well, they, they referenced a YouTube video or a couple of YouTube videos that you could watch at home. So we got the family together. And we put it up on the TV and we watched the boy version and we went through all the awkward stuff about, okay, oh, it was so bad. <laughs> this is what happened. And it's a really well done little video with these, you know, oh, cheesy little kids so and stuff. Hard, but you know, this is what happens to boys. And this is what, you know, these are the anatomically correct terms for these things. And this is what happens when you go through puberty. Which I think is, I personally really like that. I don't like when parents name body parts like hoo-ha or flower different things like that like this is a penis this is a vagina gets rid of that maybe code names or secrecy around it where if your child is uncomfortable because something happened that if they were to tell a different adult that adult would understand them because they are using the right term so i personally believe that that's the way to go yeah i mean it causes confusion a little bit and i think it kind of stigmatizes things yeah a little bit and it's just yeah i, I agree but anyway so we, we sat down and we went through the whole boy video and i said all right now son we're gonna watch the girl version and you know the other um your siblings or your other sisters were there too and so we all sit and 
watched all of that stuff. And I said, okay, it's talking about periods here. Like, this is something that your mom used to deal with. And this is something that your sisters sometimes deal with. And, you and know, it talks about some of the details of that stuff. I think we asked him if he had questions and just kind of made it clear because sometimes the videos are a little bit confusing or hearing it for the first time. But yeah, made it clear like, yeah, we bleed out of our vaginas once a month. And just very straightforward, very blunt. And he was probably horrified. And Traumatized. You know he, and he should be horrified because that is, <laughs> that is horrifying. And I do not, I mean, no offense, ladies, but not jealous. Well, and I even remember one, <laughs> one time recently at, a, at the dinner table, my sisters and I were talking about how we were going to go get Brazilian waxes. And Nash just being the curious kid that he is and smart kid likes to likes to know things. He's like, what's a Brazilian wax wit? And I was like, well, Nash, we get our vaginas hair waxed off. They rip it out and just explained it to him. I wasn't going to lie to him. It was like, that's what we're doing. And he's like, oh, OK. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but I just think those those conversations are important and they're needed and I just do it like you said on that same note maybe how are you going to raise Nash to respect women and girls and how are you going to teach all of your kids as a whole the concept of consent I think first of all as far as as far as Nash goes is that I think example is a big thing and I don't know that I'm the best example of this all the time, but especially because it's easier for your mother to drive me crazy sometimes, but just trying to be a respectful person, right? A respectful spouse. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a big thing. I agree. I've, I've read a lot on this parenting wise and how to teach your children these kinds of things in regards to yeah, respecting women and all of that. But children grow up watching everything you do. It's like Simon says. And so if you tell them, hey, we don't gossip about people. We don't talk badly about people. That's, that's morally not okay. But then you turn around and you get on the phone and gossip with your girlfriends about your other so-called friends, like, what do you think your child is going to replicate? Are they going to listen to these blank words that you're spitting at them? Or are they going to replicate the actions that they see before them? <laughs> and so, yeah, if you as a parent or as a spouse are being respectful to the, the other significant other and respecting their boundaries and loving them and caring for them that you just hope that they replicate that, that that's where they learn those skills or maybe um, traits from. Yeah, and I think just as, you know, as he gets older, you know, in kind of the pre-dating phase and then during the dating, dating phases is having these conversations like this is how you treat a girl properly. This is this is what consent looks like. This is, you know, you want to hold a girl's hand. You want to give a girl a kiss, you know, whatever. Like, how do you go about that? Mm -hmm. Right. I'm walking through the scenarios. Maybe. Right. What, what are some signs that, hey, maybe she does not think this is okay. And maybe you need to back off. 
and I think, you know, even before, before marriage and even after marriage is continuing to check in on things like that and have those, those kinds of conversations. Uh, recently I had, I had one of those conversations with your sister. She's 16 and she's into boys now, which is just terrible. Terrifies me. Terrible. I don't know why little girls have to grow up, but they do. And then they <laughs> like boys. And, and so, you know, we, we had a conversation and I felt like I hadn't, had a good conversation with her about this for us and we talked about consent and we talked about different scenarios and i'm like what are you going to do if a boy makes this kind of move on you and you are not comfortable with it what happens if he touches you in a way that you do not like what happens if he tries to kiss you and you don't want to do that like what are you going to do i said what are you going to say what are you going to do how are you going to react and she's like i don't know and i'm like that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know, if you're not prepared, what are you going to do in the moment? Probably you're just going to freeze up and you're potentially just going to let something happen that you're just not comfortable with. That's what I experienced, that I was a deer in the headlights. I mean, this was my first boyfriend. This was all I knew. This was, it wasn't my first kiss, but it was my first makeout. It was all of these firsts that like, I didn't know the scenarios or what it looked like or the different options or choices that I had in these moments. And so when they just were sprung on me and he knew that he took advantage of those vulnerabilities where I, I was just gullible and I did freeze up. I didn't know how to respond. I didn't, even though it made me uncomfortable, even though it wasn't something I wished upon myself, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to make it stop or get rid of it. And so, yeah, I think those conversations are really important. You want to know what you're going to say in those situations and practice saying those things so that when that situation occurs, it's just habit. It just comes out of your mouth or you just react in that way. There's not even this leeway room. I mean, it kind of reminds me of this uh, program that they had back when I was a kid. I don't know if they still have the, that these days, but it was it was just say no. It was talking about drugs. Mm. And it was like the whole idea of practicing, like, no, just say no. Someone, oh, yeah, someone yeah. offers you drugs, just say no. It's that easy. Just got to say no. And kind of, you know, mentally preparing yourself for how you're going to react when this happens. And the conversation that I had with your sister talking about consent and talking about what you're going to do in these types of situations is a conversation that we never had with you beforehand. Obviously much to, to my regret, but I'm trying to be more proactive and, and having those, those conversations with, with your siblings and just making sure that they're aware that, hey, you have rights. This is your body. You're in charge. It's not up to them. They're not able to dictate, you know, what happens here. If you're not comfortable with this, like, nope. Yeah. Like, we're done. You're, you're in charge. Shut it down. If you'd like to learn further on this topic or hear more, I do have an episode called, I think it's like how to teach kids and teens consent. So I'll link that in the show notes below. But as for this episode, we'll move on. So how are you personally healing from this trauma? I am seeing a therapist. I happen to see the same therapist that uh, Whitley sees. Um, Which I made you go see her. Maybe I don't remember all the details. but <laughs> So both my wife and I are seeing a therapist every week. Uh, my wife chose to see a different therapist. She just didn't really hit it off with 
the therapist that Whitley and I see. So she just because our personalities weren't compatible, we're more similar. So we respond better to this certain therapist, which is totally fine. Yeah. So I've been going weekly for a 15 minute session every week, and uh, it's been very beneficial. You know, I've I've gone through a lot of stuff, and it's a really good outlet for me to just talk through things. Right. I have a good relationship with my wife. We talk about a lot of stuff, but. It's just like a, a different person, a different perspective. Unbiased. Someone, right. Someone who you can talk through things with about this kind of stuff. And sometimes you need to talk to somebody about your wife. And so, hey, <laughs> it gives you that ability as well. I'm sure she, she has conversations about her relationship with me, with, with her therapist. And that's, that's great. That's fine. She should. So, yeah, I, I see my therapist every week and we, we talk about different things and talk about Whitley's situation and how she's doing. Obviously, that's a big part of my life. And so that, you know, is a regular topic there. Less so now that we're maybe a little bit more removed from that and things are a little more stable and things. So I'm good. I'm the easy child now. Your brother, <laughs> your brother's the easy child. Okay. Well, is that getting easy? Mm, I don't know. We're not going to go through the rankings right now, but you're probably not as highly ranked as you think you are. Anyway. This has been, you know, I talked about a lot of the traumatic stuff that I've been through and that my wife has been through. Which is why I told both of you to go to a therapist. Right. And so there's a lot of anger I've still got about this situation. I, I admitted recently to, uh, I think I told Whitley this a while back. I don't think um, Janine knew about it until recently. Like <laughs> sometimes I just have these kind of little outbursts in my car. Like something will remind me of all this crap that, you know, never should have happened. And maybe I scream some things really loud <laughs> in my car when it's just me and I'm the only one that can hear them. And that kind of feels good. I do that too. So it does feel good. Yeah, I think Janina was a little bit surprised to find that out. But yeah, I she thought it was funny. I do that sometimes. I still do that. I mean, I think it might have happened last week. So there's a lot of stuff here, right? There's a lot that we're still processing. There's so complex. It's like an onion. You just peel back more and more layers. This is not a short term thing, right? The kind of it's altered our lives forever. It has. It really has. This is this is a long term process, something that we're going to be dealing with literally for the rest of our lives. And it's it's hard, right? Because here you're dealing with a situation. Somebody has done horrible things. This person is likely never going to be held accountable for those things. They likely will never admit any wrongdoing. And that's... Ex- and they won't apologize. They won't that's extremely frustrating, right? You have to find a way to be able to move on from that and maybe even eventually kind of let it go or forgive. And that's, and forgiveness is a terrible subject to bring up with a survivor of something like this. Anytime shortly after, you know, this, all this has happened, like I, do not go there. Cause it, it makes people uncomfortable. It really does. It's something that is hard for people to talk about. And so I hate when other people throw those platitudes at me to just forgive and forget and to move on and that I need to forgive him and have empathy for him. It's just like, how dare you tell me how to heal? How dare you tell me, like, give me a time limit on that healing that I need to forgive in 
this amount of time. It just doesn't feel fair. Yeah. And to me, I feel like that's something that, you know, at some point I'm going to need to let go of these extreme feelings of anger or hate or, you know, whatever you, you want to call it. But I'm not putting any sort of time measurement on that, right? Mm -hmm. I hope that that will come with time, but I'm not saying it has to happen by next week or next year or whenever. And, and one thing that I read uh, a while back is there was a, a, a speech that was given by a, a lady named Chieko Okazaki called Healing from Sexual Abuse. She, she was a religious leader, and I think that the talk is actually fairly old, but one of the things that she pointed out in there is that based on the information that she had that said healing from sexual abuse is a very long and a very painful process. According to one study, being able to reach the ultimate step of forgiving the perpetrator and moving on took an average of 15 years. Yeah. That was on average. So that could mean for some people it's five years or one year. For or other people, that. it could be 30 years. That's on average. They and could so, go to their grave. Right. They could. I think that for me, that gave a lot of context to that whole idea of forgiveness and, and that whole process, right? If on average, people that are abused in this way take an incredible amount of time to get to the point where they can kind of let this stuff go, it's kind of comforting, I guess, in a way. Like, it kind of helps set those expectations. Like, you know what? There, there's no rush. You handle this however you need to handle this. You, hopefully, you'll you know be able to work through that stuff and over time, maybe let it go. Yeah. That said... And another important thing, which I think it's good to recognize, is that even if you are able to forgive this person at some point in your life, there is absolutely no reason that they ever need to be involved in your life again. You do not need to reconcile with them. You do you not need, need to, to have anything to do with them. You don't have to express that forgiveness to them. Absolutely not. No. Right? Some people, especially when, when abuse is in like a, a family situation, they think, well, yeah, you, you need to forgive this person. You need to reestablish your relationship with them. No, yeah. no. If you choose to, okay, that's fine. That's kind yeah. of at your own risk, but you are under no obligation. You can forgive people and move on without allowing them back in your life. Well, and the forgiveness and the, the moving on or letting go of the anger is in no way attached to them. It's not about them. It's not for them. It's not excusing their actions towards you. The forgiveness is for yourself. And letting go of the anger is for yourself because it's no longer serving you to hold on to all of that and festering over it. And so it's a part of your healing. It's absolutely not linked to them in any way. Yep, exactly. And so, you know, I, I still have anger and resentment and, and other things and you know we'll uh, we'll see how that goes in the future but yeah. i'm not gonna lie about that i'm angry still yeah. angry yeah so mine pisses me off so kind of talking about therapy on my wife's side this whole episode especially you know after we found out what had happened really threw her mm -hmm. like, whitley alluded to that a little bit earlier like it really messed her up this just kind of took her world and turned it upside down. She already had gone through all of the anxiety and fear and everything else of having lived through that period, but then finding out what exactly had happened just really messed her up. I feel like it was almost like a delayed effect where it almost took a few months to sink in, whereas 
for you, tell me if I'm wrong, but for you, reading the letter immediately invoked this anger and depression and anxiety and all of these different feelings, and you immediately had a reaction. But she was seemingly fine after reading it. I mean, she read it twice by reading it to you. And, you know, that week or the, the month or so after that, she was still functioning. She was, she was good. But as she processed it more and as more unfolded, it kind of just hit her really hard. But it took her a while. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things for her is a sense of betrayal. She's a very trusting person. She's a very optimistic person. Gives people the benefit of the doubt believes everyone's inherently good. Those, right. Well, those wants to know everybody's story, you know, is able to meet somebody and be best buddies with them like, you know, five minutes later. And so the fact that she she extended herself she allowed someone to come into her life, someone that she ended into up her home. into her home, someone that she trusted. She put all of her trust in. And then to come to find out that this person had done the things that they had done. She was in denial. She was in denial initially, but once it really set in, it rocked her world. It really just kind of, she's not a, a cynical kind of a person, but now she has a hard time trusting people. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our other kids have different friends or we've got, you know, a daughter that's starting to date. That's really, really hard for her. Mm-hmm. Like, how is she supposed to trust these people? How is she supposed to let these new people into her life when they could burn her? Mm-hmm. Right. And so trust has been, you know, I know that's something that she's talked to her therapist about. And I believe that they're, you know, trying to work through is how is she going to trust people again? She was really depressed for a really long time. She just didn't get enjoyment out of the things that she liked to do. She spent a lot of time just kind of hanging around and not doing anything. Yeah, we moved into our house last August, actually. It's been a year. And our house was still in boxes for probably, what, six months still? I mean, basic things like our individual rooms were unpacked. Your guys' room was not. But everything was still just a mess because she had no motivation to do that. Whereas the Janine five years ago would never allow that. What would happen is if we moved, it's maybe two days max and like yeah. everything's done. Yeah. Everything's unpacked. Everything's in place. Like everything's she decorated. just gets in these mentalities. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And she just does it. She like just goes, bulldozes. Like, she goes berserk. And she just goes ultra productivity mode and she just gets everything done. Like there was none of that. There was none of that at all. It was gone. She didn't get enjoyment out of this new house. She didn't care. Um, She she loves, you know, decorating and things like that. Like it's just, no, it wasn't until actually the last few months where that's finally hit and she's, she's kind of recovered some of that stuff. So, and and it was hard because she did not want to go to therapy. Well, I just want to kind of, preface before that is the months after all of this was coming coming out neither of you were in therapy neither of you were in therapy while I was going through all of this just I was and it wasn't until I was struggling seeing you guys struggle and seeing you guys not heal Because I was moving forward and I felt like I was leaving you guys behind or I was dragging you behind. So I I brought you guys into a therapy session with me and my therapist and I basically like 
put it down straight. Like you cannot fully support me when you yourself are not healing and you yourself are not supported and taken care of. And so it's like all you guys wanted to do was to support me and was to help me and do whatever you could. And so we basically stated it just like that. Like in order for you guys to give your 100% support, you need to be taking your personal actions forward to heal and process these things. And so it wasn't until we had that therapy session that it was like, all right, you two find your own therapists and, and move forward from there finally. Yeah. And it was, I think I was a little more receptive Yeah, for sure. to that than she was, but eventually she gave in and she sees the therapist and she also sees the same psychiatrist that Whitley does to help manage her medications to help with her anxiety and things. But therapy is not easy, <laughs> right? Therapy can be very hard. And she actually told me the other day that she does not like therapy. Well, she thinks about canceling her appointment every single week. She tries to think of excuses she can make. She hasn't done it, at least to my knowledge. She hasn't canceled. Yeah, I think she's still been showing up to her appointments, but she doesn't like it. No. Because it makes her talk about hard things. Yeah. And talking about hard things is hard. <laughs> really? <laughs> so... But she's still going. We've definitely seen signs of improvement and, you know, we're, we're on a, a good path as far as that goes, but it's not easy. Something that I have read, not necessarily even specifically for healing from abuse, but just any trauma in general, is that when you start going to therapy, it's going to feel like it's getting worse because you are bringing up those feelings and those emotions. You're no longer shoving them down. You're no longer in denial. Like, you are talking about those things and you'll leave your first therapy appointment or multiple therapy appointments just feeling worse and just feeling so much angrier or even more sad or more depressed. It gets worse before it gets better, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so, yeah, it is really hard to go to those therapy appointments. It's not fun. It doesn't bring up happy emotions. It's a lot of exhausting mental, emotional work. So your siblings, you know, they've, they've been affected by this. They're not in therapy themselves. We've kind of talked about the subject and done a few different things, but they saw a lot of, saw a lot of things. They went through a lot of stuff. It was not easy on them. And we haven't gotten a whole lot out of them trying to talk about it, but it was difficult for them. And there was, there are, definitely feelings of resentment right and towards me and towards you guys right because for a long time you were the focus yeah and rightfully so yeah right we were doing everything we could to keep you yeah and they took a back seat for a while i mean i tried to still give them time and you know everything else but there was a lot of focus there was a lot of walking on eggshells because you don't want to upset that person and cause problems cause an episode don't want to be the cause of a mental breakdown right and so they feel like they were not necessarily treated fairly and they still harbor some of those feelings yeah which is a bonding point for my sisters because whenever they're feeling like the middle children they're feeling forgotten about right now 
they kind of bring up all of those things. Well, Whitley's the favorite child. Well, Whitley gets all of the attention. She gets whatever she wants. They almost bond over those resentments and hurt that they have over this built up years of things. They do. And I can't blame them for those feelings. I mean, there was a crappy situation and then this is kind of how they were affected by it. There's also been some resentment that us having gone through all of this has changed some of the ways that we parent. Rightfully so again. Right, which makes a lot of sense. You go through things and you make mistakes and then you say, okay, well, that wasn't the way to do it. We're not going to do it that way anymore. But from the perspective of the second or third child in line, they're like, well, that's not fair. Whitley got to do this, or Whitley got to do that, or Whitley didn't have this restriction, or Whitley didn't have that restriction. I hear it all the time. Right. It comes up on a regular basis. And my response to that is, well, I'm sorry. Number one, life's not fair. I've preached that to my kids since they were very, very young. Since day one. Life's not fair. Don't expect it to be fair because it won't ever be fair. Yeah. You know, when their little girls are saying, not fair. Life's not fair. Nope. So number one, it's not going to be fair. Sorry, that sucks, but it's just not. But I am a parent. I'm allowed to learn, and I'm allowed to make different decisions. You're allowed to evolve and change. Right. I don't have to parent each child the exact same way. We're going to make improvements as we go through the process. and it, Which is just a healthy thing. Right, which makes a lot of sense. But looking at it from, you know, the, the second or third kid's perspective, it's like, well, you know, hey, that sucks. And that, that doesn't feel right because I'm not being given the same treatment that someone else was. And that makes me angry. Yeah, which at points they blame me because it's like, well, you screwed this up for us. If you didn't take advantage of these rules or these maybe lack of rules, I wouldn't be in this situation. I wouldn't be getting the punishment for it where you were let off free in that situation at that time in your life. And so there's pointing of fingers where it's like, well, this is all because of you. It's your fault. Right. Which hopefully over time that will dissipate as they grow older, they understand kind of more of what happened and and they're able to kind of reckon with that. But you know, it's hard. I think the, as far as the parenting goes, like I am not obligated to continue making the same mistakes in honor to fairness. No. It's like, sorry, but nope. You know, and our kids, like I said, they've handled all of this pretty well, but the resentment lingers. One of the comments that Dr. Fontanelle Gilmer made at one point was that this same kind of thing actually happens with siblings in different situations. Like I think she made the comparison to the siblings of like a severely disabled child, mm-hmm. right? So the siblings know that this disabled child just cannot do certain things or does not understand certain things, but they get for special context, treatment. For context, what do you mean by disabled child? Is that like handicapped, yeah, Down like a, syndrome? Yeah, like a handicap, like, like some, some severe handicap, right? Right. whether it's a mental handicap or whether it's a physical handicap. Apparently, this same kind of dynamic occurs in those kind of sibling relationships. They know that there are extreme limitations and issues that they're dealing with, but they still have feelings of resentment. Why do I have to clean up the kitchen and so-and-so doesn't have to clean up the kitchen? Well, they're, they're not physically even necessarily capable of cleaning up the kitchen, but they feel that same resentment and, and kind of jealousy or anger or whatever toward that sibling because of it's kind of, it's a different situation, but there are similar feelings. But in their mind, it it doesn't feel different. Right. 
What are some hard truths you had to learn and maybe embrace along the way? I think the biggest one is one we already kind of touched on is that my mentality is that I like to solve problems. I like to figure it out and say, okay, well, it's our problem and we're going to figure out our solution and we're going to, we're going to fix it. And we're going to be good. Yeah. Which you can't fix me. Like we said, it's hard for a parent because you think that it's in your role or your job description to fix your child's issues or problems. And as my dad, you've been used to doing that. These simple problems that would come up as a child, you could easily resolve those and help me find solutions. But the thing is, you can't fix or cure my depression. You can't take away the pain of my abuse. Even though you can try to do those things with all your energy and all your willpower, but you'll always come up short because in the end, I am the only person that can heal those things. So I think once you kind of surrendered to that truth, you were able to fully support me in the way that I needed to be supported instead of the way that you thought you needed to support me or that I needed. And you were able to hold space for me and validate those painful moments and those painful feelings instead of trying to quickly console or maybe quiet them. Yeah, and that's it's hard. You're you're doing everything you can as a parent to try and uh, help the situation, fix the situation. But a lot of times, it just feels like it's pointless, or it even blows up in your face. And you need to be resigned to the fact that you can't fix everything, but you're there in a supporting role, and you're not going to give up, even though you can't proactively do something that's going to just take care of the problem. Yeah. Since you started doing the inner work. How has it maybe directly affected your life in regards to taking care of your family and your different relationships? Well, I think the biggest thing is one of the things I've worked on in therapy is setting appropriate boundaries. I mean, I just talked a little bit ago about as the, the dad, I, I try to go in and like take care of stuff, take care of problems and make sure everything happens that needs to happen. One of the things that I was able to recognize or I was helped to recognize is that I need to let go of certain things and especially with my family members I need to be able to create boundaries and allow them to do things for themselves and I cannot take on all of the stuff that needs to be done just because I'm capable of doing it or I'm good at doing it doesn't mean you should do it doesn't mean I should or have to do all of those things. Well, and I boundaries are such a healthy component to relationships, mostly for yourself, because you were always trying to fix these things and you were doing everything for everyone and you're enabling everyone to be in this place of not, not doing them for, for themselves. And so you are going, going, going that it's, exhaustion physically and mentally and you would have these points where you were just so fed up with the family as a whole where you would just want to quit and you would be pissed off at us because we couldn't do anything but it was like you were almost doing it to yourself because you were still enabling us to be in that place and so 
it's a form of self-care for yourself, but it's also such a healthy thing for the other people. We have learned to do things for ourselves, even though it has sucked setting those boundaries because it's getting us out of this comfortable place that we're in of you just picking up the slack. It's even though it feels like it sucks, it is teaching us to be more independent and to not rely solely on you. Yeah, and it's it's been difficult. I've I've had to learn to to draw those lines and to to say no and make people do things themselves, but I'm a very capable person. I'm very good at organizing stuff, at keeping lists of things, and I feel like I can be very productive. Put everything on my phone, and I'm like, all right, check, 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 check. You know, we're going to do this, this. A million reminders for everything. Sure. I mean, that's I'm I'm old and I'm forgetful, so if I don't put it on my phone, then then I don't remember it. And I don't like things to fall through the cracks, right? I don't like things that are important enough to remember to not get done. And it's hard for me to let go of those things and let someone else be responsible for those things because they might like a control thing. Right. I I think so because they, they might not do it or they might not do it the right way. And talking through this with my therapist for some of these things, she's like, all right, well, what's the worst case scenario? What if it doesn't happen? Well, it might be the person that I'm doing it for suffers some consequence like, well, okay. You don't make sure that this child got this assignment done or something. Oh, what's going to happen? Well, maybe they get a bad grade or you didn't make them study for a test or I don't know. There's lots of different scenarios we can go through like what's going to happen. Well, they might suffer some personal consequence. Maybe they have to go to summer school. Right. Maybe something happens and maybe it's something that's not that great, but it's not the end of the world, right? There are very few things where this is going to be kind of an end of the world scenario. And hopefully with allowing them to be responsible for taking care of some of this stuff themselves, they learn things, right? I'm doing, I'm doing everything for these people. They're never going to learn how to do things for themselves. And that's not been easy for me. And it's also not been easy for them (laughs) because they get really angry with me. And sometimes Whitley, I, I say, well, look, with my therapist, I've been working on these boundaries. So let me tell you why I'm going to let you take care of this thing instead of me doing it for you. There's an example that I'll, I'll share that kind of earlier on in, in setting these boundaries where Whitley was not very happy with me at, at <laughs> so, all. So pissed. And so, you know, as, as has been mentioned, Whitley's going to Thailand, or maybe by the time this is being published, she will be in Thailand yes. teaching English for four months. So she wants to go and do this. But She needed a new passport, right? Her passport was going to expire while she was going to be gone. needed to get it renewed. I said, all right, well. Make the appointment. Figure it out. I'm like, you can do it at the post office. Go to the post office website, figure it out, whatever you got to do. It felt so hard for me. Because in the past, I would have done that, right? I would have been the one, all right, this is going to do. I'm going to go fill out this. I'm going to make the appointment. I'm going to do whatever. Be here at this time. Right. And so I said, nope, you've got a phone. You've got a computer. You've got the internet. I'll send you in the right direction, but you are going to be the one to figure this out because you're a smart girl. You can handle this. And so you did. You went and you made the appointment. You figured out, you know, the forms or whatever you had to do. And you said, well, I don't want to go by myself. I said, all right, I'll concede that one. I'll go with you to the appointment. Kind of, I'll go there and I'll hold your hand. That's fine. You're putting on the big girl pants and you're taking care of some of the other stuff. I'll, I'll give you that one. And so we go down to the post office. Now they take your picture and they finalize all the forms and stuff and then they go to finish everything like all right that'll be 160 dollars 
something like that. So how much it was? 169. 169. And why do you remember that? Because I had to pay for it. Because when they said that'll be $169 instead of dad whipping out his credit card. Plastic card of power. So you looked at me and I looked back at you. And I was like, where's your card? Why are you here if you're not going to pay for it? I was there to support you and I <laughs> hold your hand. And I said, look, if you want to travel the world, that's fine. But, it's expensive. But yeah, it costs money and you're going to pay for your own passport. You're a working which, girl. Which, to make it very clear, I paid entirely for Thailand. I got a job. I made all of the money. I paid all of the fees. You did not pay a penny. True. Just want to make it very clear. And how do you feel about that? Great. I also feel great. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. You were angry with me oh, I was about that. So mad. I think I actually talked to my therapist about that recently, and she's like, "Oh yeah, she was. She was, oh, not, yeah. she was angry. She brings it up with me. She thinks it's funny." Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that I'm trying to do better at. Right. I've got smart and capable children. They can do things. They can figure stuff out. I just need to help them get to the point where they can do that. And even with my wife, sometimes I will gladly do nice things for my wife and I will help You're her an when enabler she, with her. I am. And I've recognized that and I've started pushing back on things. And she's like, well, you remind me to do this or remember to do that. And I'm like, no, you've got a phone. You remind yourself. You put a reminder in there or whatever or She's perfectly capable of doing all sorts of stuff and is super productive, but she has fallen into a habit a lot of times of relying on me to take care of a lot of that stuff. And I'm like, no, it's time for me to push back a little bit and say, I'm going to let you handle that one. It kind of reminds me on that same lines, like for years, she's relied on you to remind her to take her medications every day, to take her pills every morning. You would call her like, have you taken your pills? (laughs) And I did it because I love my wife. I want her to be healthy. I want her to be doing things she's supposed to be doing. Yeah. I want her to feel good. Kind of going through this whole boundaries process. I'm like, you know what? She's got to be responsible for that, right? That's her thing. If she can't rely on herself to take her medication and she feels terrible, you know, whatever. Which that, that's so hard to place that boundary because it does affect you. If it it falls through and they don't hold up their end of the boundary and then those consequences punish you. It, it they do, sucks. They do punish me because I have to hear all the complaints. I'm like, Oh, I feel terrible. Oh, you know, I've got this or that. Like, that sucks for me. Cause I have to hear all about it. Yeah. But that was a difficult one for me to let go of, yeah. but I think it's actually going pretty well. I, I still am involved in at least one aspect of it on a, on a semi-regular basis, but like day to day, I've let that one go. You know, I I helped set up like a little reminder thing on her phone to remind her at the appropriate times. And it's up to her whether it happens or not. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it happens every day. I'm not checking on it. I'm not calling her. I'm not whatever. It's just, that's her thing. And she's got to be responsible for it. And I I think she is. Yeah. Well, you got to teach her to be responsible for it because you have conditioned her to not be responsible for it. Right. There are, there are lots of probably different examples I could I could go through. But, but just you know, boundaries as a whole. No, and, and one of the things I guess I, I related to is, you know, I, I have a job and I, I manage some things at work. And, like, do I feel like I have to do all of these things at work? I'm like, no. I've got people that are smart 
a lot smarter than I am in most cases, maybe all cases, and people that I trust. And so I let that stuff go. I'm able to delegate things. I'm able to, you know, not micromanage and, and be involved in every little detail babysit. of things. Right. And, and I don't want to babysit at work. And then I need to get myself to the point where I feel like I'm not babysitting at home either because my kids are big and they can do things. An example of boundaries being hard is, you know, I also, I'm a software developer, so I'm a technical guy and I, I'm a nerd. I call myself Lord of the Nerds since I'm in charge of some other nerds. At, at I work. did not know that was a thing. Oh yeah, Lord of the Nerds. Oh my gosh, that just makes you nerdier. <laughs> Let me go see if that domain name's available. Oh my gosh. Stop. You're just getting nerdier as we talk. <laughs> we'll be on a new website. Move um, on. So <laughs> I help people out with different little website projects, right? I've helped right. out family members, friends, you know, my kids and other things with setting up websites for things. And so one of the things that was hard for me in this whole boundary setting process was I had someone that wanted some help. Yeah. And I, I remember this this situation came up kind of in the the early process of you learning boundaries and I remember you venting to me about how frustrated you were because this family member had come to you wanting you to do sorry to steal your thunder but it's too late now it's too late. <laughs> it's gone. this family member had come to you wanting you to create this website for them and you were explaining this to me and you're like oh just thinking about it exhausts me like it just drains me I just can't take on one more thing I just can't do it and I just looked at you and I was like well then don't if you can't do it you can't do it like just say no and it was, Did you say that? I don't remember that. Part. I do remember that. I, th- I think you're just telling, you're stealing the credit. You stole the story, and now you're stealing the credit, too. <laughs> no, no. And like, it was like that had never dawned on you that that wasn't even an option because in the past it was always just saying yes to everything and saying yes to everyone and fixing things. And so, take it away. <laughs> well, and also initially I kind of just pushed it off. I'm like, you know what? We had a big trip to Argentina coming up at the time. I'm like, you know what? I, I don't have time for it right now. I'll take another look at it when I get back. And when I get back, things were not any better. Just got so many things going on. And, and like I said, the, the thought of getting involved in this project, even though it wasn't that big, the thought of just exposing myself to that and getting involved and then having to do it and then having to care about it and maintain it afterwards was just like, it, it was exhausting. I'm like, I, I cannot take on another thing. And... So I told them no, and I felt bad about it, and I still feel bad about it. But I at least, I, I tried to to at least give them a little bit of something to work with. I said, all right, I just can't do this. I'm sorry, I feel bad, but here are some other options. If you want to take care of yourself, you can go look at this one, or you can go look at that one, and that's what they ended up doing. And yeah. they produced something that is that works just fine, and... And, you know, the situation worked out well, but it's, it's kind of like the therapist said, what's the worst case scenario if you, you don't do it, if it doesn't happen? Well, if the person wants it bad enough, then they'll, they'll figure it out one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It was hard, but it felt good. And it was, it was a burden that was lifted. I'm like, yeah. all right, this is a big thing that is just off my plate. I don't have to worry about. And it felt good to just let that one go. A couple other things just about that I've, in my own 
personal therapy, things I've been working with. You know, boundaries has been a big one. I won't go into these maybe like a ton, but uh, some other topics have been, how do you deal with your teenage children? <laughs> right? And so it's it's been good to have kind of a sounding board of talking through things. And these are maybe some options to get your kids to clean up the kitchen when they're supposed to, or, you know, do these other chores that they're supposed to. And, and methods of trying to kind of take some of the emotion out of that stuff and just structure it a little bit differently. There's been some good feedback and some good back and forth with that kind of stuff. One of the things that I have also struggled with a lot of times is we talked about kind of early on was dealing with difficult situations head on. You know, mm -hmm. Sometimes that kind of stuff, I'm not really an anxious person, but those kind of difficult situations can cause anxiety with me, right? And can kind of stick with me. And so being able to just deal with something without procrastinating it, without putting it off, just, all right, this is what it is. Let's address it. Let's deal with it. And let's move on. Those are some of the topics that uh, that have come up in therapy and things that I've been trying to work on myself to improve myself. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Good. <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> good. I mean, I, it, it feels good to make improvements. I've got a lot of things to still probably figure out and so, improve but yeah so do you like well, therapy yes and no i mean i don't i don't I actually don't mind like talking about a lot of the kind of stuff or even talking about difficult things i feel like i'm able to be fairly open and honest about stuff in there for me it's more kind of like the time commitment like oh i don't want to take a, like an hour out of my schedule and go and do this so that mm -hmm. that to me kind of feels like the, the hassle part of it but the actual like process and, and kind of at least the physically being there and, and talking about stuff i don't really don't mind at all i I feel like I've gotten better at trying to open up about a lot of things and talk about feelings and, you know, other... Hence why you're on this podcast. I guess so. <laughs> Last thing, what is a word of advice you would give to a caregiver struggling with a child or children? Maybe in your same position kind of thing. I would say uh, don't give up. It's probably the first thing. It's hard to, to give a lot of specific advice because situations are so different. In your situation, there's, I feel like there's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel because there was kind of a resolution to the, end. Right, to the problem that was happening and that stopped. And now it's kind of just dealing with the fallout of that. Whereas a lot of problems are potentially just ongoing things. They may never go away. Yeah. They may never be resolved. That's got to be tough to deal with. So be patient with yourself. Can't fix everything. You're there in a support role. Listen, validate their feelings, love them, show them support. As hard as it is. It is really hard. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff we talked about earlier about, you know, medical professional advice and, and different things like that. But for the most part, just have some hope and do your best. Nobody knows how to do this stuff. Nobody comes out of the box understanding how to handle all this kind of stuff. So give yourself a little bit of grace, have a little, little bit of patience with yourself and just do your best. All right. And that's a wrap. So thank you for coming on here. I really appreciate all of your, your thoughts. Well, it was great to be here. <laughs> here at my own house. <laughs> In the closet. In the closet, recording this <laughs> podcast. 
we're in the clo- soundproof place. We're in the closet for acoustic reasons, so hopefully it sounds great. Other- <laughs> because he's a tech person, and so this has got to be the absolute best sounding episode there is on the podcast. Well, that'll we'll see how it goes. I've that's something I've also had to let go because Whitley gets mad at me because I am the only person that gives her constructive feedback about her podcast sound quality or it's different kinds of things so she gets angry she's like all you ever do is criticize i'm I'm like cut that out (laughs) i'm like you're probably right but (laughs) someone's got to give you that kind of feedback no it's good it's good he does a lot of the behind the scenes stuff behind the scenes of helping me share and create and produce and film my my no filter videos and start this podcast platform so i am very appreciative of it even when you criticize it. Oh, that's good. So I think uh, to kind of finish things off, one of the thing I wanted to uh, express was some appreciation for our podcast host. Now we've touched on a lot of uh, difficult things that she's gone through, that our family has gone through. Life's not been very easy over the past few years and things could have gone a lot differently. Sometimes people go through extremely difficult trials and it just wrecks them forever. And that could have been the case here. Something like this could literally ruin a person's life. In this case, that's not what's happened though. Whitley's taken her trauma, taken her abuse, taken her struggles with mental illness and tried to turn it into something positive. She's become an advocate for mental health. She's speaking out. She's recording this podcast. She's got people that that listen to her. She's educated herself. She reads incessantly uh, about a lot of this kind of stuff, takes it very seriously. And I just want to say how uh, proud of her I am. She's a very strong, strong, independent woman, I think is the phrase she used to use. Badass is the new phrase. That's the new one. And I just wanted to, uh, to point that out and, uh, just say how, as a father, how incredibly proud of, uh, of you that I am. So thanks for your, your example. Thanks for your strength. And keep up the good work. Thank you. I appreciate the acknowledgement. And I appreciate you coming on here and sharing because it's also hard for you because you went through it. Is there a song that you want to end this episode on? There is a song. Um, this is kind of risky. Why? Um, bringing this uh, this song up because uh, it's kind of a uh, vulnerable, yeah, exposing. It, it kind of is. So maybe I'll talk a little bit about this. Is kind of a um, its own little mini segment here. This probably isn't going to be as short as your usual uh, end song segment. So Willie played a song a few weeks ago that just kind of caught my attention when we were in the car together, and I asked her what it was, and then I kind of lost track of it, and then we were uh, we were driving home from out of town the other day, I remembered something about it and asked her again what it was. And so then I listened to it and it kind of, it kind of wrecked me for a couple of days. It kind of, kind of hit me like a a ton of bricks. Um, I've never been impacted by a song like this before. Fortunately, I had therapy the the morning after that. So that was kind of like perfect timing because I was able to, uh, to go in there and talk to my therapist about, you know, some of this stuff. I couldn't even like, get through reading the lyrics of the chorus with her without losing it 
The song is called Otherwise, and it's by a, uh, a singer-songwriter named Jake Scott, not a very well-known guy. Actually, just to backtrack a little bit, apparently this song was sent to Whitley by my brother, Spencer. He was the guy in the Toxic Masculinity episode, if you've listened to that one previously. Which, like I said in that episode, I get all my music from him. <laughs> right. So anyway, this is, I guess, his fault, ultimately, because he's the one that started all of it. Which it hit him hard as well. <laughs> it did, and I exchanged some texts with him about that the other day. So the, the biggest part of the song I just want to kind of read through is the, uh, the chorus. And it says, it starts with, Open eyes, if I'm honest, I'm scared as hell, and I don't think that I'm doing well. If you ask, I'll be doing just fine, but I wouldn't tell you otherwise. I don't feel like I measure up because I don't feel like I'm good enough. If you ask, I'll be doing just fine, but I wouldn't tell you otherwise. And uh, for, I think for a lot of different reasons, that song just really hit me uh, hard the other day. We were listening to it on the way home. Um, It was dark and late and people weren't really paying attention, but we listened to it in the car and I was kind of crying there (laughs) to myself in the car and I don't think anybody else uh, really realized it. And then we came home and Janine and I were going, had to go to the store and I was still just really kind of uh, floored by this whole thing. Um, And it was still on my mind. So I played it on the way home and I ended up kind of uh, crying a lot at that point and then talked to Janine about it. And she had noticed that something wasn't, wasn't quite right. Then the next morning, I think I listened to it a couple more times and cried some more. I think what I told my brother was I, I can't listen to the song without crying and I can't stop listening to the song. (laughs) So it's kind of like this was this vicious circle, but I think that the biggest, the biggest things that impacted me about it were the themes of number one of, of hidden pain. You know, it's talking about somebody who's scared. They're not doing very well. If you ask them, you know, everything's fine, right? That's what we people ask us. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, right? I'm doing great. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. You? Yeah. I mean, it's just exchanging pleasantries and you don't necessarily want to reply to someone with who's just exchanging pleasantries with, well, let me dump all my all my stuff on you. But it kind of speaks to the facade that we that we put up as we go out into the world every day and we kind of just take all of our internal stuff and, and bury it. We have to go on with our lives, which is okay. We we kind of have to do that, but Everybody's out there carrying around something. Some of it's maybe more extreme than others. And then it talks about, you know, I don't feel like I measure up. I've had, I've had a, a lot of that as, as a parent, as we've gone through all of this, this stuff with Whitley. And then, you know, we've got other children that have other struggles. And we've been dealing with a lot of that stuff lately. Like, being a parent is hard. Like, it's super hard. And it's frustrating. What's that? I said, I don't envy your job. Yeah. And so... I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing out here. Like I've never been a parent before. I've never been through these situations before. Doesn't come with an instruction manual. No. Unfortunately. No, it doesn't. And every kid's different and their situations are unique and their experiences are different. And somehow you've got to be the person there trying to help navigate through all this stuff. And, and it's just incredibly difficult and incredibly frustrating. And, you know, I've, I've had those, those feelings, feelings about number one, you know, I'm not, maybe doing well my that well myself that I don't measure up because I don't know how to handle these this stuff and it's it's I'm sure I'm I'm making lots of mistakes and I'm messing it up and I'm messing my kids up and you know all that kind of stuff so I don't know it just just hit me really really hard and the other 
the other thing it kind of made me think think of was a few years ago, and you know, mentioned before that a friend of our family named Emily passed away. I remember feeling really angry in the days after that. It was anger at all the people around me who were just going about their daily lives and not really acknowledging that like, hey, this person is gone, right? They're they're no longer here. We're not going to see them again here in this life. And it was like, here I am hurting and here, you know, my family and then her family and, you know, all these people were hurting and in so much pain. But then, you know, you're driving down the road and the guy next to you just has no idea, right? He's just going on doing his thing. And maybe it doesn't sound very rational, but that's, those are kind of the feelings that I had, right? I'm like, here I am suffering. And then there's all these people around me, even the people at work, like everybody just doesn't even have any idea. And it almost kind of made me, made me angry that people could keep living their lives and not recognize the fact that this tragedy had occurred. Yeah, like how dare the world keep moving forward when there's so much pain. Right. So anyway, that was that was another thing it brought up. But uh, I'm, I'm doing better now as far as my reaction to the song. I'm able to tolerate it. The fact that I was able to actually talk about the, uh, say the words of the chorus is, is probably a... Do you want to read the full song lyrics? Uh, yeah, we, we can do that. Um, the, the chorus was the part that resonated the most with me. Chorus, if I'm honest, I'm scared as hell. Uh, I don't think I'm doing well. If you ask, I'll be doing just fine, but I wouldn't tell you otherwise. First verse is uh, cause a distraction, stare at my feet, rehearse a reaction so nobody sees. The cracks in the wall starting to fall, run in a circle, doubling down, stay on the surface and don't turn around. I don't want to face it. Don't think I can take it. Afraid I might break. It says the, the chorus again in the second verse. I put on a smile. I put on a show, but it's only denial. What scares me the most is that I believe it. I never see it, and it keeps on repeating. And then it repeats the, the chorus again. Uh, it does make one change, and let's see. Actually, it repeats the chorus twice, but the last time it says the chorus, instead of saying, but I wouldn't tell you otherwise, it says, but I tell myself I'm doing just fine. And I wouldn't know it otherwise. So I, I think his intention it was kind of speaking to the fact that we kind of maybe lie to ourselves that we're doing okay when we're not. I actually kind of like to interpret it a little bit differently for me. And that even though things are hard and I'm making mistakes and I'm maybe not doing all that that well, that things are probably a little bit better than I think. I don't want to catastrophize. Life is pretty good. We're making progress, even though it's two steps forward, one step back, like we're trending in the right direction and it's still difficult and it still sucks. But telling myself, giving myself a little bit of a pat or a little bit of a pep talk isn't necessarily the worst thing either. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's Jake Scott. <laughs> Otherwise, go listen to it. Um, hopefully, your playlist. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't uh, knock you out like it did to me or maybe that, that's a beautiful but, thing if but, it does. But maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe that's what I needed. Talked about in therapy, like, let's not just gloss over this. Let's talk about, you know, some of the feelings involved here. And it was, and that was good. Your emotions were very tender for a couple of days there. Yes, they were. And that's not, that's not, not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And that's not really the usual me either. So, and that's okay. Yep. All right. That's all we have for you. That is all. <laughs> it's a marathon. <laughs> I might come up with more content. I might need to come back and do this. I, I might just take over the podcast. 
co-host. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I'll just rename it and take it over completely. Maybe you should just start your own podcast. Mm, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, probably not. That's all we have for you. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. I hope this podcast left you feeling empowered, better understood, and less alone in this crazy thing called life. If you like what you hear, leave a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.